welcome to the Naval Air Podcast with your hosts, Mike and Scott. Hey, Scott. How you doing? Hey, Mike. I'm doing pretty good. All right. Uh, glad to be back with you. It's been a little while since yeah. we've had a chance to rendezvous and uh, have some talk talking. about our H2 experiences. Yep. It's funny how life gets in the way sometimes. Uh, that it does. That it does. So, all right. So, we're going to kind of pick up, still pick up your story. Uh, just, you just finished doing the very interesting uh, Aram Sherem uh, ASW equipment test task force thing up there in the North Pacific, right? Yeah. Yep. And, this was uh, basically the workup for HSL 37 uh, Debt 7 India, as it was called in uh, Japan. Although when we went out on this debt, we we're actually called referred to as Debt 5. I, I don't know why the, the, the different enumeration, but probably because there was still a Debt 7 in, in Japan that was Debt 7 Hotel that we were going to be uh, relieving. relieving. Okay. And the other aspect of this detachment was we were going to be uh, assigned a new construction helicopter that was uh, C5 to over to uh, the Philippines, so which is where we were going to relieve the detachment at. So a uh, little bit of background, I guess, um, if those were new or jumping in the middle, uh, the helicopter that Scott and I crewed was initially built in like 1959, 60. Um, somewhere I have a list of the initial order was, you know, 120 airplanes maybe. Um, not sure exactly the, the, the airframe count, but uh, through attrition and um, maybe s- some idea towards modernization. And, Crashing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Navy ordered 50, right? It was 50, 50 brand new, so. 50 yeah. brand new, new construction. So they were, they started construction like 83, because I know we took our first delivery in late 84. Um, and they were 50 brand new H2s, but they're still 1959 technology and still 1959 based equipment, but they're built brand new. Uh, and, you know, late 80, you know, late 83, early 84. So when we took, I mean, my deployment, we took a brand, we took a new construction aircraft out, and you know, when we took when we took hold of it, it probably had twenty five flight hours on it total, and you know, and it's sitting next to an airplane in the hangar that's got you know ten thousand. So they they were think of it as a new car, right? With nice tight steering and and not not a lot of vibration and rattling and so yes, yeah. ours was delivered to us in Hawaii. And, um, you know, I don't have any recollection. We probably did fly it a little bit before it, uh, was C5 to, uh, the Philippines. And I don't know why we were, you know, the, the logistics of why we were going to relieve the detachment in, uh, the Philippines, but that's, that's how it worked out. Cause typically the, the four deployed deaths were in Japan. Right. And this, this was, um, late summer early fall um of 1985 and the the midway was coming back from a uh actually they did a a, a indian ocean deployment and they were returning back to japan and uh, of course they stop in the philippines and i think 
it was probably just logistics or was was the reason that uh, you know we're going to be uh, relieving the debt with a new helicopter there in Japan because the other interesting thing is the helicopter and our maintenance personnel left about a week or so ahead of uh, all the aircrew people. In other words, the pilots and the AWs. We we didn't go over to uh, to to QB Point, NAS QB Point in the Republic of the Philippines, and uh, until about a week after the uh, maintenance folks went. So they essentially and unpacked I, unpacked the airplane, right? And- I guess, yeah. I don't really have any recollection about the, you know, the uh, the the nuts and bolts of all that. But, uh, you know, the, the thing about being a young single guy over in a fleet helicopter squadron like that is you also had to move out of the barracks. Yeah. So I coordinated this whole thing with my mom coming to visit uh, right before we left because I'd moved out of the barracks and she, well, I got a room at the Holly Coa and I could get it at a cheaper rate than she could because my my dad was a retired major, so yeah, yeah. she would have had to pay higher than me as an E5. So I, I got a room at the Holly Coa, and I'd taken leave, I think, for about two weeks before we were going to go. And some of that was just sort of piddling around. And then uh, my mom came, and then literally, you know, she left the day that uh, I was leaving. You know, she was going back to the States, and I was getting on uh, Northwest Airlines to fly to um, QB Point, or not QB Point, but Manila, but Manila via a plane change in Tokyo. I'm sure, yeah. And then, and then a plane, the st- plane stopped actually in Taipei, and then we finally went on into Manila. And of course, as, as we have spoken to numerous occasions, here I am again, arriving in the middle of the night somewhere. <laughs> Not only am I arriving in the middle of the night, it's you know, the next, in a, in day, a, in a military duty, it's in a foreign country that I've never been to before. Um, and you and you got to make your way to. Yeah, we got to make our way from Manila, which is not next to where QB Point is, which is in Subic Bay. It's yeah. Subic Bay is a couple of hours north of there. And that in and of itself was very interesting, too. I mean, um, it was a very good experience, actually, because of what I was able to see and do. Because, you know, we got into uh, – and th- I remember a lot of this stuff really well. Uh, we, we got into Manila, like I said, pretty late. I mean, not like in the middle of the night, but it was after dark. And, of course, it's very hot and humid. And, you know, in in hindsight, you could blindfold me, and I knew I, I was in the Philippines because it has a certain um, – Aroma. Oh, Philippines. Aroma. Yeah. <laughs> Aroma. Yeah, exactly. And, and and the other thing that uh, uh, you find when you're driving through uh, this part of the world is they do a lot of turn and burn there. So they, you know, they grow things and then they turn it and burn, they burn it and turn it, you know, because of they get to get the nutrients out of the, yeah, yeah. the, of the uh, ashes and whatnot. So we got there kind of late and of course, I needed to get some Monopoly money or, or pesos, <laughs> and uh, I was there with a, a oh, guy that had been there before on the other – because our sister debt, they went the same time we did, which was the debt one. 
because they also had a new construction helicopter that they were also going to be relieving the debt in the Philippines. So we went with those guys uh, as well. And um, so I figured I, I better get some of the local money, right, while we're there. Uh, exchange, I don't know, I don't even remember, maybe 50 bucks or whatever I had uh, I was going to exchange. And you immediately get mobbed the moment you get out on the, the sidewalk. You know, we're all kind of sticking together. Uh, you know, and I get uh, people throwing these uh, Filipino-style lays around my neck with their hand out. <laughs> you know, or and, and kids wanting to carry my bags and all this yeah, other yeah, kind yeah. of craziness, right? It was really kind of nuts, you know. And, uh, you know, I'm throwing this monopoly of money around, you know, like tipping these kids and whatnot. I'm like, sure, yeah, you can carry my bag, you know. Uh, it was it didn't amount to very much money that I was giving them, but they thought they hit the mother load with, you know. Sure. The greenhorn uh, Philippine uh, cherry boy there. So we weren't going to go to QB Point that night. We actually went to the Philippine Plaza Hotel, which is right on Manila Bay. And as I understood it, it was actually owned by Imelda Marcos, which was Ferdinand Marcos's wife, because Ferdinand Marcos was the president of the Philippines. Yep. And this is a five-star hotel, one of the finest hotels in Manila. Had a reputation for, or not a reputation, but a uh, it was recognized for having the largest swimming pool in that part of Asia, Southeast Asia, and it did have a big pool. So, um, you know, we uh, got to the hotel, got to our rooms, and had really nice rooms. And I remember it had the, uh, you know, the bar where you got to, uh, you know, you pay, you fill your thing out or whatever from your room and they charge your bill or whatever. And I hadn't eaten anything for a while. So I remember I, I, uh, I think I had a, they had like a Toblerone, the, the Swiss, you know, yep, chocolate. chocolate. I think that was what my snack was. And every floor had the, the guys in the blue. Remember the guys in the blue uniforms, the security guards? They were all over in the in like you'd see them in a longapo and and uh, they're like they weren't police but they're private security and and, and it was I, I was rather shocked because these guys were on each floor and they were all packing a, a, an M16. Okay. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Uh... And uh, you know, so like our we were these you know our officers and stuff. They're saying like, hey, don't. They didn't want us wandering around or anything like that, but we did. We did go to the Playboy Club that's in Manila. Nice. And you know, had a couple of drinks and hung around there. Um, but for some reason, we were not going to go immediately to QB Point until not even the next day, but the following day after that. So um, that any, day any that we were why? there. Do you know why? I have no idea what was the yeah you know, because maybe the arra travel arrangements I I really don't know why, um, but I remember getting up and uh, you know we went and had breakfast and they said yeah we're not going to be leaving until oh you know what Mike now that I remember we didn't stay another night we left later in the day that same day it was just we didn't leave immediately and we had like some time to kill so uh, one of the uh, officers somehow made some arrangements for the hotel van basically gave us like a little tour of uh, Manila. Nice. And we went to the Pacific Memorial uh, Cemetery. It's actually, you know, sovereign U.S. territory right next to what the equivalent of the um, 
uh, West Point would be uh, okay. for the Phil military right next to that is where the the cemetery is but what really kind of uh, also shocked me was the on one side of the wall it's this beautiful um you know cemetery and all the grounds and everything are, are you know immaculate and then the grounds of the military academy and then on the other side of the wall it's like you know total squalor poverty right <laughs> yes so that was a little bit of a you know interesting it's always and then, a eye opener yeah yeah, yeah, and then uh, of course we're seeing now we're seeing everything in the daytime and the you know the Manila Bay and all that very you know very interesting to me at the time because I'd never been there before, and now we're gonna we're gonna take the trek up to uh, QB Point, and again we're leaving at night, late evening and it's you know dark by the time we get to QB Point, and uh, don't have a freaking clue where the hell we're i'm at really you know no idea about that but it was an interesting drive because some of it was on like the equivalent of what would be like an interstate and then a lot of the a lot of it was on like a mountain seemed road. like a freaking back yeah mountain road yeah mountain road to get to the base and of course the base is huge it's actually two bases it's the naval station um QB point no, but before Subic you get Bay. to the naval air station you got to go through Subic Bay, Bay the naval station um, they're joined together but they're considered they were well they were considered uh, separate and at the time the US military had a number of installations in the Philippines they the major ones being the Navy there in Subic Bay and then Clark Air Base and then there was about a half dozen other smaller bases uh, scattered around so we got there late and, uh, you know, I was pretty tired, but, uh, you know, the, one of the guys that we were with another AW, I don't remember, uh, Ron Wick, I don't know if you remember him or not, but, uh, he, he immediately wanted to go out and hit the town there in a and, uh, <laughs> but I knew we had to be down the hill at, uh, you know, zero seven thirty or, or whatever, you know, muster down there. So I kind of, I kind of skipped that, um, so where were you staying then? They put you. We're up on up on QB Hill because the ship hadn't even pulled in yet. And you're waiting on the Kirk, to, not the Kirk, the um, the the Knox. Knox. You're waiting for the Knox. Knox to show up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then the uh, the other debt they they lucked out. They were actually going to be on the uh, the Olendorf, the the one Spruance class that was homeported in Yakuska as part of the battle group. So they kind of lucked out. They they got the Spruance. We got the Knox. The Knox. The original. FF 1052 and um, you know then it was a matter of uh, getting oriented and uh, getting the helicopter together and then I think we had to do like a functional check flight or something like that and then uh, we flew aboard the ship you know we're only there for I don't know maybe uh, four or five days I think at the most Might okay even might not even have been that long. Just but, the ship pulled in, I think, like a day or two after we got there. And then maybe we were there longer, you know, for their, you know, maybe it was longer. I just don't really remember. But, but you were off every night. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I may, may, have, may have flown, too. I just don't remember um, exactly. Uh, I really, you know, I don't have a lot, a whole lot of recollections, actually, of that time when we actually got to QB and then... Uh, and then headed off to uh, uh, Japan on the ship. Um, 
that was interesting too. The, the transit was was very interesting because we're also exercised with the uh, uh, Japanese uh, Navy. They had a couple of submarines out there and got to do some uh, ASW co coordinated ASW with the Japanese uh, H3s, American H3s, you know, HS12 guys, Japanese P3s, American P3s, the S3s, the ships. Um, that was all new for me. I, that was my first experience with doing any type of coordinate ASW with a foreign Navy and then the, the language barrier, you know, trying to understand what the, because we were getting controlled by a Japanese ASAC from one of their ships, uh -huh. trying to understand what the hell he was saying. Um, because <laughs> uh, their, their call sign for the Japanese was a uh, helicopter squadron off this one helicopter. They had these, uh, equivalent of like a cruiser but the back half of it was they could put two h3s back there simultaneously I mean, it's a pretty big ship and their call sign was sniper but it came out like snapper so we were calling them <laughs> snapper head one one you know one, one two and this this or that you know just amongst ourselves joking around in the helicopter you know yeah uh, what, what was crazy is these guys, they, they came in and it was like three of their helicopters and we can barely understand what the ASAC is telling. We're trying to de-conflict and, and we had our Mad Bird out, right? Because they yeah. want us to do VECTAC, right? And I remember like overflying one of their helicopters with our Mad Bird out and going, oh man, this is crazy, right? Um, on, a, on a VECTAC while what? they were in a dip. Okay, but they're in a dip. They hover at what? 80 40 feet? feet? 40 feet. 40 feet. And, yeah. and you're flying around typically at 1,000. Well, no, we were much lower than that because I can, I can visualize what I saw looking out the window, and I'm like, damn, we're, you know, we're only like a couple hundred feet, maybe hey, 300 feet. And you're streaming the Mad Bird? And so that's, yeah. that's all. <laughs> we have the Mad Bird. That's why I was saying, holy shit. You know? So that's only 100 feet above the water, right? Because you stream at 200 feet almost? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're just like going right over the top of them with a with a mad bird. Oh out. my gosh! Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty crazy. Yeah, we so we did that, and uh, I think it was we were out for about maybe uh, I don't know, it was maybe two two and a half weeks before we pulled into Yakuska. Um, one thing that was kind of cool, we're out in the South China Sea, and uh, like the maybe first or second day out, because you know South China Sea, you're you're just basically uh, between. Uh, the Philippines and uh, Southeast Asia, you know, uh, coast of Vietnam and whatnot. Yeah. And I get a radar contact, probably about, I don't remember how far away it was, but it was pretty far, you know, like maybe 30 or 40 miles, something like that. And uh, so they're calling back to the ship and they're saying, because, you know, they get all the intel, you know, they about, you know, any merchant traffic, you know, and any possibility is like the Chinese or the Russians or you know any of that kind of stuff because remember this is the height of the Cold War right yeah and so the the you know the pilots are saying well we didn't have any intel on anything that we ex expected to be out this way you know it could be a fishing boat could be a merchant could be this or could be that so the ship says okay uh, go ahead and uh, investigate you know get a um, uh, visual sighting and uh, report so we're like you know, we're, we're, I still have this contact, and it's a little intermittent, too. You know, like I'm getting it like every, you know, I'd have it for a couple sweeps and then a sweep and it wouldn't be there. And I'm thinking, that's kind of weird. 
right? Yeah, and yeah. it's a small, like, because the pilots were asking me, said, what does it look like? I said, well, it looks whatever it is. It's, it's fairly small uh, and it's intermittent. I'm only getting like a paint on it about, you know, every, you know, one out of three sweeps of the radar. And they're looking at it's a clear day and it's really calm. So we're counting it down 20 miles. You got you guys see anything? Nope. 10 miles. You guys see anything? Nope. Five miles. Nope. One mile. Nope. What? And then all of a sudden, hey, there it is. Look, it's down there. And it was a freaking 55 gallon drum floating out there <laughs> that I was picking up on. Now, that says a lot about our radar, how good that radar actually was. Right. Yeah. So that was pretty interesting. Um I think it also um, was good for the pilots, well, at least for, for my sake, that they, they kind of had confidence in what I was doing, you know, what I was talking about. They're like, yeah, there's something out there, small, intermittent. I don't know what it is. Um, but one of the things that we did before we actually pulled into um, Yakuska was this was the last cruise of the Midway with the F-4. Okay. Um, and I still had the base newspaper that came out um, that was, you know, in one of the places there because it was a, you know, free newspaper the base puts out. And, and it had the article in there about this being the last. Uh, so I, I actually witnessed the last F-4 to launch off the Midway. Were and you... they flew right over our ship because we were like okay. uh, off the – we weren't in plane guard. We were kind of off couple, about a mile away off their starboard bow because they, they want to come in and watch it. And they, they flew right over this, the, the, the knocks, like maybe 200 feet in full afterburner, you know? Nice. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And it was really neat watching them. Uh, I remember going up to the signal bridge, watching them land at night, the, the phantoms flying a phantom off, a, off that size of carrier is pretty crazy, but. And so they were uh, replaced with F-18s, right? Because yeah, they, they got F-18s. Cause the Tomcat so, couldn't operate off of a, no, not off 27 the 27C boat. Yeah. Nope. So one of the thing, the other things that we did, because um, that was like two days before we pulled in. The next day, the ship was going to launch a torpedo. Really? Yeah. On the Knox, they've got uh, they've got four torpedo tubes, and they're kind of built into the forward part of the hangar, actually. You know, where they load everything. It's they're not like the triple launchers, like the old triple launchers. That would swing the, out, yeah. Yeah, for like the Mark 44 torpedoes, these were um, actually fixed. Um, so they were gonna they they had a qualification, they had to launch one. So they came and they asked like, hey, uh, you know, we're not gonna have a torpedo recovery boat or a helo out there. So does do one of your guys want to volunteer to go in the uh, motor <laughs> oh. whaleboat to recover the the torpedo? And I said, sure. And I even asked uh, Gail Vasquez, who was the junior crewman. I figured it'd be the nice guy, and I'd ask him, "You, you want to do it?" And he says, "No, nah, you can go do it." <laughs> I was like, "Okay." And uh, you know, uh, so they had a BM1 and a couple other people, and uh, the BM1 was one of the ship swimmers, and uh, he and I wrestled this torpedo alongside the motor whaleboat, and uh, then they used a davit or something like a j davit and, and hoisted aboard the ship so i got to do that and so since i did that i said hey uh gail was gail vasquez i don't know if you knew gail or not 
uh, he was a junior crewman. I said, you can, you can fly off if you want. What? And yeah, you can fly off to Atsugi and, uh, I'll stay back and I'll ride the ship in and, uh, you know, help get the pack out going and all that. So I, I let him fly in and I rode the ship in and, um, you know, that kind of sucks. You know, you gotta, you gotta load the truck up with all your shit. Cause we are going to be moving off the ship until, because oh, remember this is a four deployed det- detachment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you they literally just came back from cruise. We're not going out again. This is like maybe the middle of September. We're not going out again for like another two months. Maybe a month and a half, six weeks, so something like that. So they have to put you to barracks then. Yeah, so we're going to be up in Atsugi and the Naval Air State, you know, Naval Air Facility, NAF Atsugi. And uh, so we had to literally take everything off the ship because I think the ship wanted everything off because they were going to paint the hangar. And, you know, they got all their stuff they got to do because they had a, uh, what do they call it, a selected availability, you know, where they're going to do. They put them in a dry dock uh, for. Yeah, a, exactly. A quick and, all a quick that and dirty. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, quick and yeah, dirty. Yeah, exactly. So they wanted us to get everything off. So we had to take everything off and uh, got all that done and then uh, rode a bus up to uh, Atsugi and uh, moved into the barracks. Got actually really nice uh, quarters there. I was in a two man room with actually our LPO, it was an AD1. Um, and uh, right across the street from the the mess hall, and that's and that's is a really nice space. It's pretty quiet. I mean, you got the air wing there, but it's it's pretty quiet location there. And of course, I was really happy to be in Japan. I mean, I'd been in Japan for that short visit, as I mentioned, when I was on the the uh, previous uh, debt I was on for for about four or five days. Now I'm going to be here for you know six weeks, and. Um, so then we kind of we moved into uh, a hangar that actually was was uh, condemned, believe it or not. I do believe it. It, it was. Uh, I don't. Did you make it to Japan at all, Mike? Never. All right. So Atsugi um, was actually a major uh, installation of the Imperial Japanese Navy during World War II. In fact, that's where MacArthur flew into. Okay. Um, when he came, first came to Japan, because it was the closest airfield that was capable of handling a C-54, which is what he flew in. And um, it was also, at the time, um, a major, it then became a major installation for what became the Japanese Maritime Self-Defense Force. And it was the headquarters of the, um, what we would call, um, ComNav Air Pack. Like, the, the, the three-star Japanese admiral Okay. Flew his flag there. Who was in charge of all naval aviation and, and the Japanese Navy, which is what we really referred to him. Or nobody called him the JMSDF. We just yeah, Japanese Navy. And then, then they had the the they had a, a air wing there that had two P3 squadrons, and they also had their equivalent of VX1. They had a naval air transport squadron, and they had a SAR detachment. So they they had a lot of they had a lot of stuff. We were they, we were actually a tenant on that base. That's why it's an NAF, not an NAS, because the airfield's operated by the Japanese. The crash fire rescue is operated by the Japanese. Air traffic control operated by the Japanese. And all the base infrastructure is operated by the okay. uh, Japanese, even though we had more people there. They, were, they, they owned the base, and we were tenants there. 
So the hangar we got was this World War, believe it or not, like freaking World War II era looking thing because it had like the corrugated, um, not aluminum, but like fiberglass. and But it was all wood frame, which was oh why it was damp. It was <laughs> all wood. Believe it or not, it burned down when I was stationed late there later on. They they'd stopped using it for aircraft, but it burnt had burned down. So uh, was then. was this where all the four deployed HSL squadrons were in, or just you guys? Yeah, they had HS twelve was in there, and HSL thirty three, and the two uh, HSL thirty seven debts. And the and the hangar was small too. There, you could not put the helicopters in there with a blade spread the heck uh, because we had we had one bay for the uh h2 so you, it was literally like a, a shuffling game to get them all in there and you had to coordinate you know like if you're going to be flying in the morning you, you had to make sure you got your bird in last right it was really a hassle because um, i think there was one time that uh, we weren't going to be flying and we, we flew late and our bird was stacked on the top you know by the door <laughs> And then, like, HSL 33 was going to fly, like, on a Sunday or some crazy thing like that. And we had to come in and, you know, pull move, the move your airplane out of the way. Both of them. <laughs> well, maybe just one of them because it, it would – you could fit four in there, but there was only three in there. But you could not fit them with the blade spread. And then HS12, they had a bay, and they could they could put, you know, all six of their helicopters in there. Maybe no. They could only put four out of the six in there. So, so where uh, where had, where where on the uh, the airfield was this? It, it's a north south field, right? Yeah. Well, it was on the it was on the on the on the west side of the field at the south end of the ramp, right close to the control tower. Okay. It's right next to our hangar. On the one side was the air terminal and the control tower. On the other side of us was a uh, Japanese Navy uh, P three. Uh, squadron, actually two squadrons. They were actually building another hangar while we were there. Um, <clears throat> and then the air wing was on the other side. I mean, of the control tower. They they had they hadn't built any of the stuff on the other side of the base yet. In fact, those were all old World War II hangars that they era hangars that they were in. That they rebuilt after they bombed the snot out of them. <laughs> um. But they literally were rebuilt. They were, you, re, you know, that's, um, you know, it was left over from the war, and then they rebuilt them. And because uh, we been, we had a major presence there, you know, after the war. So, um, in fact, it was an NAS at one time. Then it became an NAF when they turned it over to the Japanese in the late 60s, early 70s. So... Um, the other problem was it wasn't walking distance, but they had buses on the base, so we could ride the bus to get to the barracks if we needed to. And we had a van. Yeah, we got one van from uh, transportation there on the base. Um, and then we just started, you know, flying. You know, just uh, we'd usually uh, fly uh, three sorties a day. Three? Yeah. We'd do two day, day sorties and a night sortie. Sometimes we sometimes we do two, maybe one day and one night, but usually three. Um, yeah, because you know it's all about the flight hours for the OICs, right? For their fit rep, you know. Yes, yes. 
unfortunately. Uh, it also affects the, the believe it or not, affects the uh, fit rep of the captain of the ship too. How much the the debt flies. So, you know, and but it wasn't. We we had a very well run detachment in that we had a really good chief. Uh, our our LPO was kind of eh. He was somewhat on the road program. Uh, that's retired on, on active, active duty. duty. Yes. Yeah, he wasn't a bad guy. I, I but he was not. Um, he just had it. Yeah, he wasn't. The, he was. It was. He was going to be retiring, like literally, like about a year and a half after the we got back. And um, you know, he he had no he had no desire to get anywhere near the helicopter. So our junior mech was me. <laughs> so I actually completed the General Electric T T fifty eight dash GE dash eight F engine pqs and they submitted me to get that that nec but i they wouldn't give it to me because i wasn't in ad no in the source rating but i'd done the whole pqs believe it or not so anyhow um you know flying around japan was a little boring because there really wasn't much to do other than what we did uh in you know hawaii or san diego you'd go out and uh you know, go over Sagami Wan, which Wan is bay for Japanese, and, you know, throw a smoke in the water, you know, do that, do some radar run-ins and stuff. And then, you know, the FAM stuff. Or, you know, God forbid, like the night flight, you're doing nothing but tack in and GCA approaches for Ugh. two and a half hours. And then you get back, Ugh. hot pump, and then everybody except the air crewman and one other person was already done for the day. And myself, if I flew that night, I would do the daily and turn around assisted by the one guy left behind was usually like one of our you know, two junior people. So, some E3 typically. Yep. That were, that were not PC qualified, but they could, What? you know, yep. So, okay. That's. that's yeah. We're kind of light on PCs on that debt. Okay. Myself, Gail, our AD three. And I want to say, Maybe one other person on the debt were qualified. We had four PCs on our debt. So I, consequently, I was doing a daily and turnaround every every other day at least. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> I would tell you that like everybody everybody in our detachment was was playing captain just about. I know yeah. I know Fred Majeski. Uh, he was a, he was a junior AT, and uh, he failed his board. He failed. Oh yeah, you told. He failed. You his told me that the last time. Yeah. So he. So he's. He was the grease. He was the grease monkey. He had to grease all, all the. Now fittings. see, that's one thing that out of that whole detachment, I never touched a grease gun. Yeah. Neither did uh, I because. I, and I never. Yeah, I didn't do any of the any of the grunt work. His punish, all I did was inspections. Yeah. His punishment for failing was greasing. Doing the grunt work. Yeah. yeah. So we had, and we had three air crewmen, right? Mm -hmm. And we had. Both both ads were playing captain, but the second class, he typically wouldn't do it. Uh, the third class, I mean, it, um, it, it wasn't it wasn't awful though because if you if you flew that, that at night, yeah, you had a lot of work you had to do. You had to do the water wash and rust lick. You had to do the you know the daily and the turnaround and put the bird to bed and all that kind of stuff. And uh, but we didn't fly like late. I mean, you'd probably you'd be all done with that stuff usually like by about ten. And then I didn't have to come back in again until 
I was going to fly the second sortie, you know, because the other guy is going to do the morning. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, and then probably I don't know how we, we kind of worked it out where, you know, if you if you worked it late, you didn't have to be in early in the morning. Yeah. I think we kind of rotated that around. It, it it worked out. So plenty of plenty of time for going off base, you know, going to the local places to eat and, um, you know, and then, you know, usually we'd uh, take the, the weekend off. You know, that was part of the thing, too, while we flew a lot during the week um, so that we would have that opportunity to, you know, take the train up to Tokyo. Did that a couple times, took the train down to Yokusta, the big Navy base, because they had a really good uh, next there. Um, you know, we did some flying around the area that was really interesting. Uh, you know, flew around Mount Fuji and we used to do approaches and stuff at Yokota and the army of the big air force base. Did you, you know do, that? Did you do that kind of thing? Star jumps? Um, at some point you had to get it. No, we again. did not. We did not because we did them right before we left. Yeah. Okay. Now, later on, I did SAR jumps in, in the PI, and I did them in Japan, but um, that was a different uh, different story there. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was pretty uh, it was pretty routine, you know. Then uh, of course now we're going to go out for this six week thing, and that was going to be good too because we're going to go to Hong Kong, we're going to go to Korea, we're going to go to Singapore, and then we're going to go back to Japan. So out of that six weeks that we're out screwing around. You know, we probably spent like half of it in port because um, when we went out, um, it kind of sucked because we we're going to be gone for Thanksgiving. You know, for us, it didn't matter. The ship's company, it sucks, right, because they're not going to be home for Thanksgiving. Um, but part of the the mission to accomplish was we have a base, uh, Com Nav Forces Korea, who is a rear admiral in Chinhae, Korea, and that's the main naval base for the Republic of Korea Navy. And at that time, uh, in the in the early mid-80s, they, they still kind of weren't too crazy about nukes in Japan. Yeah, okay. So, so anything with nukes, um, the ship had to do uh, like the equivalent of a CWTPI, which was a conventional weapons test procedure inspection. This was the equivalent of the ship doing it, but for nuclear weapons, because we had nuclear. Of course, we can either confirm or deny we have nuclear weapons no. aboard the ship, blah, blah, blah. But we did have nuclear tipped ASROCs on the ship. Right? Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You did too. You just didn't really think about it, right? But you did. You well, know, at the time that you. Enjoyed. I don't think we had ASROCs unless they were modified for the launch, vertical launching off. Yeah. I think the, uh, they could launch them off those rails, as a uh, if I remember reading about those uh, kid class, they they could they could launch the Azrock off of that rail. Of course, I never saw anything but uh, SM2s on there. Right. That's all they would put up there. Blue Death SM2s. And so I we had to go to Korea for them to do this test, and and, and we're going to be there for like eight days. And that was, of course, we're going to do a phase while we're there because we're in port. And it was a working port. It wasn't a, a Liberty port. Well, you get off at night, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I think we had like, 
I think actually for us, once we got the we busted ass and we got the phase done in like four days, and then and then uh, we were off the rest of the time because there really wasn't anything we could do. We couldn't even do the the you know the the we did the ground turn. I think they let us do that, but they wouldn't let us uh, do a hover check because we're nested in with another ship. I forget which one it was. Um, we were nested in, but we would uh, you know we went out in town and. Uh, Took the cabs over to Pusan, which isn't too far away. Ate some good Korean barbecue, drank some Korean beer, you know, the usual sailor stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, bought a lot of un- non-trademarked items, which, of course, they don't have the the same copyright laws in uh, nope. Korea. That, <laughs> so you're buying a lot of counterfeit stuff over there. And they don't give a rat's ass either. No, no. <laughs> Uh, you know, three-legged polo shirts. You know, they, <laughs> yeah, they right. washed them about ten or eight, seven or eight times, and the sleeves fall off. <laughs> but they were dirt cheap, right? Yeah. Bought some stuff like that, and um, that's funny. Three-legged polos. I remember the three-legged yeah. polos. You get those in Singapore too. Had a good time in Hong Kong. Hong Kong's a great Liberty port. Had a blast. Really had a blast in Hong Kong. Um, you know, like I was not. The, I wouldn't say I was the prototypical sailor in the way that the first place that I wanted to go was the bar. Yeah. You know, we went to we went to Hong Kong. Of course, I'd never been to, you know, Korea before at this time. You know, I did go out with the guys and we because Korea is a little different. There wasn't a lot of sightseeing to do. The weather wasn't all that great. You know, we're getting into like, you know, um, early November, late October, I think when we were there. So it's getting a little chilly out. Um, you know, I did did look at a few things took some pictures and whatnot did the shopping thing and but otherwise you're like going out to korean barbecues at night and drinking beer and that kind of stuff um but hong kong you know now you're getting into one of the most cosmopolitan cities in 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 asia if not the world and uh i wanted to go check stuff out and the ship had like ridiculously low prices for these tours like i'm talking five bucks yeah 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 five freaking dollars i went on two different tours and i was the only one from the freaking debt that went and these guys were like oh my god that's what you did i'm like yeah one of these tours uh we went to um you know stanley which is another like a garment area uh pretty famous but the most crazy well not crazy but the coolest thing we did is we went to Aberdeen Harbor, and that's where all the junks. People literally live on these junks their entire lives, hardly ever go ashore. And this is where they had the famous floating restaurants. Okay. In in, in Hong Kong, I still have the menu uh, for the one that I went to. Literally, I watched them fish the the, the tiger prawn out of the tank, you know, that I was going to have <laughs> with my with my meal in this in this place. And went to some like over to Kowloon and uh, the new. We went to the new territories. Looked across. Yep, there's the border. You know, the Public, People's Republic of China with the guys with the AK-47s looking back at us through binoculars because we're right, right, right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, we uh, on the other tour where we went to eat was this restaurant up at the top of this hill out in uh, the new territories where we had the traditional. Chinese banquet, you know, like 12 courses on this big, humongous rotisserie thing. Um, and then, of course, walking around all the different parts, you know, riding on the uh, um, the ferry, the, the um, I'm trying to remember what the name of it is. Um, 
And then the other big thing for me, of course, was going to Kai Tech Airport. Yeah. And watch it, getting watch on, it, watch going, to the, going to the parking garage there and, and, watch and uh, land. by the red, by the uh, checkerboard, and you're like counting rivets on the bottom of a 747 <laughs> when it's landing. Yeah. Uh, went to a uh, pretty cool bar over there on the Kowloon side that was frequented by um, like aviation enthusiasts and stuff like that. So had a really good time there. Same thing with Singapore. Had a really good time in Singapore. That's that's another really cool. Yeah, I got had to, the best Mongolian barbecue I've ever had in my life was in Singapore. I got to visit Singapore. Yeah, Singapore is a cool place. And it was Easter for us. It was Easter, um, and we had just, I mean, we left we left the Philippines, and like the next day, the ship captain says, "You know what? We're gonna stop at Singapore." It was unannounced, right? So no one had any money. Oh shit! <laughs> was a painting. You blew it all, right? Yeah, everyone. But uh, you know the cheap, the cheap wealth uh, morale tour to the rescue. You know, and I went on one of those that took us around and showed us all the highlights of uh, of Singapore. The uh, you know to the Tiger Bomb Gardens and to yep. uh, um, the uh, that. Uh, the freaking skyway that takes you up to the top of the hill. Oh um, yeah, and you know the, you know the the merlion and the in the, the bay that everyone knows about. You know, and and the tour ended with, you know, lunch. Basically, it was Chinese food. At least I thought it was Chinese food. First time I ate octopus. Yeah, octopus is some good stuff. And you know, uh, it was and and we were all and we all took the tender in because you know no one t- ties up in Singapore. You float out there in front of the city and take a motor whaleboat into the, the the landing. Yeah, I remember the fleet landing. I had to stand shore patrol there. We were only there. We were only there for three days. I want to say three days, and one day I had duty, so I was on the boat. So I only spent two days on the ground. Uh, but I do remember that um, it was it was compared to Longapo, right? freaking Singapore is a modern city and you see yeah. th- and you see things like McDonald's and Bank of America and Kentucky Fried Chicken and all that stuff mm-hmm. and you're like probably the most beautiful women I've ever seen in Asia was in Singapore because uh, it's such a melting pot yep yep made my way to the uh, Raffles Hotel yep where I found a Singapore sling no I couldn't afford it oh really yeah because I, I don't know if you remember but Singapore had this like drink tax right to that your first your first alcoholic beverage had like this ten dollar surcharge added onto it. Ouch! And every time in each round it would go down. But yeah, I didn't. I couldn't. I had to just go. Oh, that's where it was invented. The long bar at the Raffles Hotel, and you know, like like European vacation. Look, kids, Big Ben, Parliament. <laughs> you keep going, you know. So yeah. But I like Singapore. I liked it. it was like going back to civilization after the Longapo. Yeah, I like I enjoyed Singapore also. So then it's uh time to turn around and go back to Japan. And now we're gonna be you know, six, seven weeks again in port, getting up on Christmas time. Dude, what and- a freaking cake deployment. And <laughs> I got sick as a freaking dog. What kind right of sick? 
Like food sick or flu sick? Like food poisoning, flu, something. I mean, came down with this, you know, tummy troubles type thing and a fever. I came into, I wasn't flying that day. Showed up and the chief, my chief says, what's wrong, man? You don't look so good. I said, I don't feel so good either. And I threw up. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So he says, I think uh, we, we need to take Fitz to, to uh, medical. And, uh, you know, I had a fever and uh, I was uh, really dehydrated. So they, they hung a couple of bags on me because I've been sick all night before that. And so now Christmas is coming. I can't even participate in anything. Because I didn't feel like eating anything. I didn't feel like going to, like, they had a big Christmas party. I'm like, I'm just laying in my bed at the barracks. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, that kind of sucked. But um took me three or four days to get over that crud where I could actually feel like a human being again. This was Christmas of 85 then, right? Yeah. Yeah, and we took some time off. I mean... Even the uh, OIC said, if you want to take leave while we're here, you can take leave. And um, uh, you, did you guys go on port and starboard and all that? Yeah, for the three week period of the holidays. Yeah, we basically did it for like two weeks over Christmas through New Year's. I don't think I showed up really. I mean, because I was sick, so I didn't like. <laughs> I, I kind of got ripped off out of my the first week of any time off because I spent most of it just Did, in bed. Uh, that's terrible. Then I won't. So, then I won't tell how fantastic my Christmas of '85 was. What tied up to a tender? No, I, I was I was back from deployment already. Um, I had my dad was. Uh, had hit me up that he was going to go visit this uh, ski resort in France and that he was going to invite me along. Oh, wow. Um, so, and then at the same time, my mom was, uh, my mom was getting ready to move away from New Hampshire. They were going to move to, they're going to move to California of all places. I couldn't understand. Um, mm-hmm. So I combined, uh, I took 33 days of leave. Oh, wow. And so I, I said, okay, I'll, I'll be in town for Christmas. And then, you know, like the 27th or 28th where they switch over from from the people who were gone for Christmas to people who had gone for New Year's. Um, then I was going to go. But my port and starboard worked out that my last day of work was the 23rd. Oh, wow. So port and starboard plus weekend plus, you know, not on duty. Yeah, I left I left uh, San Diego on the Christmas Eve. And where did I, I so you got some basket basket leave. Yeah, there. I uh, went to visit the grandparents in Bakersfield. Um, oh, really? I, have a, I used to have an aunt and uncle that live in Bakersfield, close uh, to the college. This is my stepdad's parents, right? But you know, so uh, went there, and then uh, my uncle, who lived, who at that point was a you know, had the limousine and travel agency. You know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, he's the one that got me my. He took care of all the travel because you know him. He and my dad were still talking at that time, so. Um, Went back to his house, dropped off my car. He took me to the airport. I flew to visit my mom, helped her pack for like a week, and then flew. And where was she again? She was in Wyndham, New Hampshire. 
So oh, southern, okay. southern near Salem, New Hampshire, right? Like So you flew into Manchester? No, Manchester was still a cow you know, cow country airport at that time. Oh, very okay. very so few schedules that line, so flew into Logan. Um Right, because it's 85, right? So uh, right. helped them pack for like a week and then flew from Logan to, um, did I go to Brussels? I'm trying to remember which airport my dad picked me up. It had to have been Brussels because he lived in Brunson in the Netherlands at that point. So I think that was the closest big airport. And then spent some time at his house and then we left for the week-long trip to Les Arc, France. <sighs> Yeah. It took off it's like a 12 hour drive and oh, it, to the it, Alps and, and in Europe you know the French side of the Alps and in Europe everyone's oh, 12 hours who cares you know five countries who gives rats right we're gonna drive and drive and drive and drive and I couldn't help him out because I didn't have a you know no uh, European driver's license so he did it all and uh, we drive through the Mont Blanc tunnel because we're gonna approach this this, this resort from uh Basically, it's from the east. You're going to come up from from Italy over the east, drop into this resort in France. It's on the other side, right? And he's like, well, you know. Isn't Mount Blanc the the tallest mountain in the Alps? No, no, it's a tunnel. It's the longest tunnel. There's like this tunnel that goes from. Because there's uh, a Mount Blanc in in Switzerland. Yeah, yeah. It's the border of Switzerland and Italy. Yeah. So we're, you know, so he wants to take this shortcut, right? And, and the shortcut road, you're following the map, and it's this little tiny, we get to the top, and the road's closed for the freaking snow. So oh. we had to turn around and take a three-hour tour back through the tunnel, which cost like 12 bucks to go through, right? You know, three sides of a square to come up the normal way like everybody else did. And halfway up the, the hill on the other side, it started snowing. So we, you know, it took 15 hours to make a 12-hour trip. It was It was comical when you look back at it, but at the time, we were pretty pissed. Yeah, and I and Sounds I like it would be a pretty cool trip. It though. was a cool trip, you know. The the it's like an all inclusive kind of uh, place, you know. Your your room and your uh, your lift ticket and all that was all like one together, and then different little restaurants and whatnot. But he was a Department Army civilian, so a lot of the other people were people he worked with or that were in the 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 NATO mission that was that made up the base. He so was you're on. like the youngest youngest in the whole group then, huh? Yes, yes. And, you know, and and you know what I I skied and I took flight suits and the and you know the the uh, long one piece underwear that went under the dry suit, you know that fishnet. Yeah, the, yeah, I wore yep. that. That flight suit how and did that. that. How did that work? That and, keep you dry. And a winter weight flight jacket was perfect. Yeah, so, yeah, cuz that that mesh thing is designed to keep the, you know, uh air, is yeah. waterproof. Yeah. And and and, and the layers the layers the layers worked out you know, so I didn't wear the actual dry suit, you know, but that, that long underwear thing. So the only color I had that wasn't olive drab green was my hat. But it was a it was a good uh, it was a good five days of, of skiing. And by the time I was by the time we were done, I was like, OK, yeah, I need a vacation for my yeah. vacation. And then so yeah, then I flew back and then I flew back to um, I see I didn't see my mom because they had already packed up. But I stopped in Boston for a couple of days to visit with some high school friends. I then hopped on the airplane back to Los Angeles, and uh, yeah, I was gone. I was gone for forty days from the squadron on thirty-three day leave. Chit. Yeah, I took leave for forty-five days uh, when I got back from that deployment, the one that was on, that we're talking about, 
it's hard to go back to work after that. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. You come I mean, back. I was glad to be back in Hawaii, but, you know, at the same time, I was like, oh, this you sucks. Know, oh, these guys are a bunch of jerks, right? And you're like, oh, I don't want to see this clown's face. You know, there's some people you're happy to see and some people you, you didn't miss at yeah. all. You didn't miss the BS or the stupidity or, you know. Um, and and uh, the thing is, that was the last leave I took before I got out. Because when I got oh, off... Okay. When I got off active duty, because that you know, I got back in late, you know, like January thirty first or thirtieth of nineteen eighty six. So you didn't want to like take terminal leave or anything then. No, okay. See, to me, everyone said terminal leave, right? Oh, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be on leave, and I get out early, but your last paycheck is still the day you your EAS is, right? That's your last paycheck. Yeah. Well, for me, I thought a bit more benefit to stay until my EAS, cash in the leave, and I get an extra thirty days of pay. But everyone, yeah. th- everyone thought, no, I want to get out early and get extra. You're not getting extra money. You get the yeah, same. Exactly. The only way you get extra money is if you stay until your actual EAS date and then cash in your leave for another worth, month's worth of cash. Yeah. And 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 which I did, and of course my home of record was still <laughs> Windham, New Hampshire. So they gave me all the money to drive back to. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I had to. I uh, made a trip. I flew back to visit. Uh, to mail my travel claim back so they could see that it was stamped from from my home of record so they wouldn't come after me for my money and then visit that's pretty shrewd i visited my uh i had an aunt that was living in dc at the time popped down to see her for a week and then came home and then started my civilian life so we basically have got up to the point pretty much the halfway point of this deployment because uh, pretty much after the new year, now we're going to go out again um, for about another, I don't know, month maybe. Maybe not even that long because basically we're going to go out, piddle around a little bit and transit straight to QB Point. And we're going to be involved theoretically we we're supposed to be involved in some type of an exercise what it was i don't even remember because we never participated in said exercise because this deployment as good as this deployment was the second half of it was about as screwed up as the second half of my first deployment and this is that you're just gonna your jaw is gonna hit the table okay on this. i'm ready so like i said uh for some reason we're going down to basically straight down to the Philippines. I don't know if the ship was had some kind of thing they were doing there or what, but we're going to go down to the Philippines and, of course, we're going to fly off to Debt QB there like we always do. Well, the other four deployed detachment, they had multiple problems with their helicopter. Like, they had changed, like, three main gearboxes already. You know, and we're, we're you know, th- three, three and a half months into this deployment. And they've already changed like a couple, maybe three main gearboxes. And this is a new construction helicopter, right? Yep. So they, the Ohlendorf was tasked to go to the Persian Gulf. We were not going to go to the Persian Gulf. Because remember, the carrier, the Midway, is in dry dock, right? So the, the Desron, Desron, was it 15? Yeah. So the ships in Desron 15 got all this individual tasking. So the Ohlendorf is going to go um to the Persian Gulf and then they also did this other weird thing where they actually did an air power like the a demonstration for the 
the Taiwanese Navy, you know, on the way down there. And of course the helicopter was supposed to fly and it didn't. It was kind of a big a big deal because I think they're trying to get the Taiwanese to buy the H twos or something. I don't remember the whole background, but here's the here's the bottom line. We're excited because I think, oh yeah, we're gonna go participate. It was like Cobra Gold, the exercise in Thailand. We're supposed to pull into Pattaya Beach. Pattaya Beach has a nice reputation. Yes, I've been there on, when I was later on, but we're supposed to go. No, I don't even think it was Patty Beach. It might have been Phuket. I don't remember. But we're going to go. The ship's going to go to Thailand. So everybody's all excited, right? We pull it. We're going to pull into the Philippines, and we're on our way down there when we get word that uh, we're going to swap helos. What? Yeah, because they had it in their mind that swapping helos because they're going to go to the Persian Gulf and they don't want to deal with this helicopter that's a lemon. <laughs> they figure if they take a different helicopter, that will solve the problems, right? So we, we actually docked at the ammo pier in QB Point, I mean Subic Bay, which is north of the air station, actually. Yeah, yeah. They craned our helicopter off the ship and onto a barge and actually, I rode on the barge with a helicopter. They wanted one person to go. So here I am sitting in a lawn chair with just UDT trunks, and that's it. <laughs> you know, catching some rays because it took like an hour and a half. I don't know. It was a pretty long, you know, slow go in this thing. And uh, so we had to swap helicopters. So we get their helicopter, which is down. It's down for main gearbox change. So not only do you have to give up our good helicopter, now we got to change a freaking main gearbox. And how did how did the ONC let this fly? How what? It it was came from a, it came from comp like up high, like you know the three star, you know, up in, in seventh fleet. And the purpose was so they could go to Taiwan and fly the helicopter would be. Well, no, up. they never did it because the helo was down, and it, that's what was the big deal about it. They they were gonna they did like this demo, uh, you know, naval power demo for the Taiwanese Navy, but the helicopter was down, and that was supposed to be part of the whole thing. Okay, so, so not, they got it in mind. We got it, and now these guys are already tasked that they're gonna go to the Persian Gulf. They're gonna go do like a sixty day patrol in the persian gulf and they're they don't want they don't want this helicopter on that ship they want our helicopter which had a pristine record at that point sure but it's so ridiculous that like it's a main the gearbox has nothing to do with the airframe right <sighs> i don't know they you know <clears throat> that was that was what happened so we wound up getting stuck and ours was like one of the nice ones with a regular normal paint job. This one was one with the gray, the original gray paint jobs, which looks kind of screwed up. Oh wait, so you had a low, you got a low vis bird. Yep, we got a low vis, oh. a low vis bird. But it was one of, with one of the original low vis paint jobs on it, where it looks, where they used it was, a different type of paint. Yeah, it, it was. Couple, it wasn't glossy. It was. It, it was, was kind of glossy looking. Yeah, and like none of the markings were subdued i mean they weren't like the you know nash you know red white and blue but they were kind of more like white you know the the stars and bars yeah yeah so we got stuck with that freaking thing and we had to change the main gearbox and the ship said well uh we can't wait for you we're, we're basically leaving what they left the ship the ship freaking left us there so they you had to move off the ship 
Yep. What the fuck? Yep. We had to move all of our stuff off the ship at the same time we were craning the helicopter off because we were told that uh, we were going to be staying there because we had to change this main gearbox, which was not there. They didn't have one. Okay. They had to had to get one, you know, from wherever, flown down from Japan or something like that. They did not want to have one there in uh, stock. Son so, of a gun. So we got stuck there, you know, and uh, off they went. And that's where we stayed. This was like, I don't know, mid-January, and we stayed there till almost the end of April. What? What? Yep. yep. Why so long? Because the, the ship was gone. I mean, they they left, and they weren't they didn't have any reason to come back to uh, to QB Point other than to pick up their helicopter detachment. Yeah, they weren't going to do that. That's baloney. I can't believe that. So we were stationed Dito there. Station what? Station Dito. That was the 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 term for people who were actually stationed at QB Point. Okay. Station Dito. That's just crazy. Yep. So wasn't your debt over by April? Yeah, the end of April. And uh, so how- we got back by the uh, by uh, the helicopter being loaded onto a C five and flown to Yakota. How long was the airplane actually down? I don't know. We had it up and going in like th- once they got the part there, and you know a couple more days. We got a part, you know, the gearbox and. Change it. You can change a gearbox out in a day, especially with a hangar, in a hangar space, not on a boat. Yep. So we got the gearbox changed and uh, funky checked it, and uh, we're back in business. Now we're just stuck there. And so, what'd you do? Just burn holes in the sky all day long? Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much like what we we're doing in Atsugi. You know, fly a couple, three hops a day, and um, but the other sucky thing that happened before we. Uh, um, remember they had like the mid cruise inspections. Yes. So not only did we have to deal with the the gearbox, we also had to do get the helicopter and all of our stuff ready for the freaking mid cruise inspection. So we got the double whammy. Uh, that's just not. And 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 we, I don't know, our OIC and our maintenance officer. You know, they were bound to determine we we're going to get an outstanding on that. Uh, well, you know, which we did. There's two ways to give the middle finger for getting, you know, screwed like that. Either show them that no matter what they throw at you, you can beat it or just like let it go. Pretty much that's we took the, the former. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, I mean, we took that helicopter apart. I mean, it did not have any corrosion on it. In fact, I, I, I personally... Um, painted the uh, the deck, re-non-skidded, you know, by the by the door there. Remember, we, had, we used to have non-skid there? Yep. Um, I did all that. Somehow, I don't know how my chief did it, but we got brand new soundproofing for the cabin. Don't know Don't know what strings he pulled <laughs> he to do buried, that. Buried a, he knew where somebody's body was buried. He must have, but all of a sudden, like, this shows up, and we're like, yeah, he, go ahead and put this in the helo. We're like, wow, this is like brand new and uh we we completely re redid the instrument panel you know we, we took all i was kind of somewhat not a little skeptical but 
Uh, we took all the instruments out and completely repainted the instrument panel and uh, put all the instruments back. Fortunately, everything worked after doing that. But, um, yeah, it was a really, uh, you know, interesting time, I have to say. Um, I got in, like, ridiculously good shape, though, because... Well, you know, I was young. I was like 25, but I mean, I got in like really good shape. I was running all the way around from the t up at the top of the hill, all the way around the whole freaking base back to the top of the hill every day and going to the gym and lifting weights and doing all that stuff. I'm getting like in like ridiculously good shape because what other, what else, well, what else was there to do? You know? Yeah. Um, did some good in, we did do some interesting flying uh flew all around the you know the area went to Corregidor um I tried to get the pilots to to uh, lower me down to Battleship Rock and then I was going to take pictures of the helicopter flying around yeah yeah and I had almost had them talked into it and? that the, the the thing that was the big negative was like what if we get a chip light while we're flying around we have to leave you there I said well that probably wouldn't be too good hey. <laughs> Pay your money. Now you're gonna now you're gonna have to tell somebody you left an air crewman out on the freaking battleship rock out there. You pay oh, your really? money and you well, take your chances. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> but we did we did land at Corregidor and uh, shut down and uh, got a tour there. Guy took us around in a like an SUV and we went to the and saw all the the uh, the old barracks that were are still there, the tunnels and the gun emplacements and all that. Um, Flew around the uh, memorial for the Bataan Death March. Flew all the way around to the other side of Luzon. And uh, flew down uh, inside of a volcano that's uh active volcano south of Manila. So we, you know, got, got to see some cool stuff. Flew into the embassy a couple times. Uh, flew into the airport. Uh, we were, the, the other thing that happened was we were there during the, the shipyard strike. Okay, uh, and that was that was pretty cool. And well, looking back on it, it, was cool. But at the time, it was a little bit crazy because there was some rumblings going on with the the shipyard because they're mostly all you know civilians, local civilians that worked on the base there. Uh, that they weren't too happy with uh, their situation, I guess, financially or or what have you. And we had had uh, that day off that this strike started, like literally no, 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 nothing. And uh, so I was following my routine, you know, <clears throat> um, got down to, uh, you know, middle afternoon or what have you, maybe little afternoon, something like that. I'm going to go for my run. So I'm going for my run. I come around and, you know, the, the base there, you come around the runway by Lampstead there and yeah. I see the helicopter out on it because it was in the hangar you know we put it in the hangar for the, the the day for the night we folded the blades put it in the in the hangar and uh, it's out on the freaking ramp with my chief out there and the and, and the two and two of the pilots and I'm like what is going on so I run straight across the ramp all the way over. I'm like, what's what the hell's going on there? We've been looking all over for you. I said, well, I'm, you know, we, we, we were, the day we were off today, I was just out for. I know you need to take the van and go get your fl your flight suit on because we gotta go. We gotta go flying. There's a the the gates barricaded and nobody can get on and off the base. And we've been tasked with doing this, that, and the other thing. All the rest of the debt 
was out in town. So you flew to go get them? No. Oh. No. They were stuck out there. But it was just myself, the chief, our OIC, and our maintenance officer. And we were flying around all over the place. Like, we were taking people to the embassy. We were taking people to the airport. Uh, we we went out to the San Miguel comm station, and we brought some dependents to the hospital, including women that were, like, nine months pregnant. What? Okay. We, we flew the, the payroll for the base up there, like a guy with a bag with a Marine with him with a freaking gun. I'm like, this is pretty crazy because they had a helicopter pad there. We flew to Clark Air Base for, I don't know, you know, we're just going around all over the place doing all this different stuff. So um, I didn't have to do anything other than fly and help the chief daily and turn around the helicopter. And we did that for like five days straight. I mean, we flew a bunch. I have to look at my logbook, but I, we flew a lot. During like, this during this shipyard strike? Yep. Until they finally got whatever they wanted and they opened the gates back up again. Crazy. So that was one of the crazier things that happened. Um, uh, flying around in the GCA box, uh, it took a bat strike down an engine. And the engine kept chug chugging, didn't it? Didn't it? It didn't need, we didn't notice it, nothing. I didn't. We even realized it happened until I was doing the daily, and I, I had my flashlight, and I'm looking in the uh, the intakes there, and I see bat carcass <laughs> all over the, the 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 stator veins there, and uh, the six o'clock post, you know, you by the by the starter, yeah, yeah. and uh, so they the helicopter was down. They had to borescope the engine, make sure everything was good to go. Um, oh, another thing that happened, we're out there, uh, we had done a phase and everything was done that, uh, had to be done in the daylight. So we had some fuel left over and the pilot said, Hey, we're going to burn out the bag and then you can check all your stuff while we're doing the GCAs. So one of the things, uh, we did, we streamed the mad bird, we brought the mad bird back in. Okay. That's good. Did all the checks on that uh, obviously i'd had the radar on so that was was cool and i said hey uh sir i need to drop the data link antenna so drop it down then go to bring it up oh no it doesn't come up and i smell like really strong like electrical smoke and i said hey we got a fire a uh, smoke in the in the coming from the tunnel and uh so i unstrap and put the gunner's belt on and it's all smoky underneath the working platform, like where the data link antenna yes, and all yes, the area yes. back there. And, uh, and, and I said, I think we smoke checked the, uh, <laughs> the, the data link antenna and I don't have any indication that it's up. So then I opened the cargo door and took my flashlight and uh, I looked underneath and it, and it was like almost vertical. Like it came up maybe about 15 degrees and stuck. And... So um, the pilots are talking, and they're talking to me. Well, what do you think we should we should do? I says, well, Nate Tops has a uh, hung data link procedure. I said right. we can do the yeah, we can do the hung data link procedure, and they're like, yeah, that's a good idea. And then they're talking to the chief, like I, they had like a base radio there, you know, at Lampstead. Yeah, yeah. And and the problem is they don't have one of those there. They don't have what? 
the 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 manhole, the cover, like okay. the thing at North Island where you could land and put the data link into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. They didn't have one of those. So we're flying around and we're thinking about what we're going to do. And then I don't know who came up with the idea. I don't want to say it was me, but I, I think I had some input on it. I said, well, maybe uh, we can hover really low and they can like push it up. Okay. And then, and then like get it secure, like duct tape it to the bottom of the helicopter or something. And then we can land. And I said, but if we're going to do that, I got to lower the hoist down and and ground, ground the helicopter. Ground the helicopter. <laughs> so we we went to the we we went to the helicopter pad there at, uh, you know, at at Lampstead there, you know, by the old seaplane ramp. Of course, remember it's at night. And uh, so I lowered the hoist, grounded the aircraft, and we hovered like really really low, like you know, five or six feet. And our AT, um, and a couple. What? I'm doing something right now. Okay, so what? Yeah, so so we did that, and uh, they so, they did they basically yeah they taped it to the bottom of the helicopter, and uh, and then we landed, taxied in, shut down, and so that was a little excitement there. Um, oh, another bit of excitement was uh, we got called out for a, for a rescue. Of. Well, uh, a Marine H-46, because while we were there, a MU came through, Marine Expeditionary Unit. Yeah. You know, with LHA and, you know, the, the Gators and all that, the amphi amphibs. Well, of course, these guys fly off to Lampstead, which is really a pain in the neck, because you've got, like, all these Marine helicopters all over the ramp, and we've gotten used to being, like, the only helicopter there for a while. Now this, this place is just inundated with with all these marine helicopters yes. right and um one of those guys they, they were out flying and uh they flew in the water in the gca box somehow controlled flight into the water some sounds like i think that's what happened so vc5 is the squadron that's the composite squadron there yes they have h3s there for torpedo recovery and also search and rescue stations are yeah Station SAR, yeah. Well, their station, their their bird that was on the alert broke. And we were like the secondary rescue, apparently. I don't know. Anyhow, again, I'm not supposed to be anywhere. And next thing I know, there's somebody's pounding on my door and like, you need to get dressed. There's a rescue. And I'm like, oh, I'm not like, now I'm all excited. Okay, we're, and uh, where's Vasquez, the other crewman, you know? He, and uh, so we get down there, and he's already in his gear, wet gear and all that. And we're out there and uh, uh, looking. And, well, we find, you know, they said where, you know, the last position on radar was. We're kind of like sort of like doing expanding square search from there. And, you know, then we see like crap floating on the water. And one of the things we see actually is a helmet. Okay. Was it, and, still, was it still on someone's head? Well, we didn't know that whether there was somebody there or not we could because it was at night and it was a little swells and choppy because this is you know out actually in the ocean pacific or south china sea there where the you know the gca box before you turn back toward the air station you know you, you're you go out of ways right and uh so lowered him down in water and it was it was an empty helmet unfortunately all they all four of them were killed uh, no no recovery no rec yeah we picked up 
the helmet and some other you know some other stuff that was out there that we but that was uh you know that was basically there some seat cushions and you know a few other miscellaneous things floating around plus a big fuel slick you know he came up sn- smelling like you know jp5 because he was swimming around in it interesting uh, yeah so yeah there was like you know some uh mild excitement there uh we were there so long i actually got checked out because i was a member of the navy flying club <laughs> at barbers point so i got like you could you could you know have privileges at other uh flying clubs so i got checked out in a cessna 150 over there with a little filipino instructor probably weighed about 105 pounds soaking wet tail dragger no it was a 150 i thought and, 150 uh, was tail dragger no, it's a it's a, you can you can get a conversion kit and have okay. one converted, but the one like its great grandpa was the one Cessna 120, which is a a tail dragger. So I did a little bit of a uh, little bit of GA flying there. Um, you know, and then we we're there so long, we were taking advantage. Like uh, on the base, you know, they had uh, the bowling alley, they had the go kart track, you know, the golf course, you know, all that stuff. So um, it, it wasn't too strenuous you know no no it sounds Uh, like it sounds like a real easy detachment actually but the problem was we had no idea when we're going to be this debt was going to end right you know how are we getting back to japan how are we doing this so it was that was causing a little bit of angst but i'm i'm Um, sure the oic was in constant contact with the home office yeah but he 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 would tell us like you know basically uh yeah they don't really not really sure exactly uh you know we at that point it wasn't it was still an open question on whether the ship was going to come pick us up again you know that hadn't been determined until much later on when they finally said oh well you know the the ship is not going to be going into qb point so we're going to figure out how to get you guys back to japan and uh ultimately the way they did that was we're going to get you guys an opportune airlift from qb point now, an opportune airlift means if they have space, they'll put the helo on there. They weren't going to specifically task sure, uh, of course a C5 not. to do it. Of course not, because, you know. So, um, of course, I, I volunteered to do that. And so the rest of the debt went back to Japan. Those poor guys had to ride in a freaking VRC-50 C-130 all the way from QB to Atsugi. <laughs> And I got to fly with the MO, uh, Lieutenant Green, from QB to Clark. Of course, I'm in the left seat, so I got to fly all the way over there. And that was oh, kind of fun. So you packed up the airplane at Clark. The, the C-5 didn't come and get you at QB. No, no, we went to Clark. <laughs> okay. And we got sponsored by the, uh, well, they were still flying the H-3, you know, the Jolly Green Giants. I think it was like the 23rd or 22nd RQS. And, and of course we got there and it was just myself and the MO. We had all the blade crutches back in the tunnel. And we got like, there was one of their, one of their guys came out like that marshal us in and, uh, he helped, he helped us fold the blades. And then, uh, the other thing that I had to do is he helped me, um, disarm all the cads cause you, you couldn't, um, um, put the aircraft on a c5 on a you know for internal transport um so you talked about the cads that like the the hoist cut yep the the pad and the hoist yeah we had to we had i had to take those out 
Okay. And for the fire bottles and all that, I had to do all of that. Um, that wasn't that tough. Um, plus this Air Force guy was out there kind of helping me. There was like a crew chief on the helicopter. Um, I mean, I knew what to do, um, but it was good to have someone there that really knew what they were doing. So I didn't actually in, uh, accidentally initiate the freaking cat. Or sure, cut your finger off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we did that. And then um, we sat there for five days. What? Yep. Your airplane folded up. Was it in a hangar? Yep. Nope. It was outside. You know, all buttoned up. Everything. It was all ready to go. Everything was all signed, sealed, and delivered. You know, had some kind of thing that they uh, uh, stuck on there in a little plastic envelope, you know, with all the sh- information for weight and all that yeah, crap uh-huh. certified, uh, ready for transport. You know, somebody came and did that. I don't know who that was. Some Air Force person that did that. And uh, so, uh, you know, I had a room in the barracks. Not the greatest barracks, I got to say. They weren't even freaking air conditioned. They were like older ones um, that I got stuck in. And uh, maybe they were air conditioned, but they didn't have like they, they had a central, you know, latrine. These things are like 1950s era barracks. Okay. So how many every people morning, should... in, in, in the morning, uh, Lieutenant Green called me, said no airlift. And so we played golf every day. <laughs> God bless America. Yeah, played golf four days in a row. <sighs> uh, and then and then uh, they have the cabs on the base there because it's a huge base. I don't know if you've ever made it over there, but yeah, that's a uh, we flew, massive base. We flew there. We we flew there um, a couple times. I don't maybe do a couple GCAs, GCAs or, or a, you know uh, tacking or something. Yeah, but we never. I don't remember landing. I have pictures. I have pictures of my my you know deployment photo album of Clark Air Base from the air. Yeah, they had an F four wing there. Um, at the time and uh, went off base like to eat and stuff like that wasn't didn't do anything wild I mean it's by myself basically you know um, dang five days yep but uh, we had a good time playing golf and then and then it came to pass where uh, one that one morning says yeah we're, we got uh, you know the green light to there's a C5 it's going to Yakota and uh so help the uh, loadmasters get the helicopter the the shoring for to, to roll it up into the hang up into the bird but here's the irony all of this time we could have just stayed in QB point because the airplane went from clark to QB. <laughs> how ironic is that right <laughs> because okay. at the time they had like this big fire at Osan Air Base, like a fuel tank, and they were taking the whole airplane, except for our helicopter in the very front, was full of AFFF, the blue cans. Okay. Plastic blue, you know. Yeah, yeah. Pallets of those things. And then, uh, you know, got on the plane. We sat back in the passenger box back there where there's, like, seats for about 60-some-odd people. And, uh, you know, had the standard uh, U.S. Air Force uh, box lunch. There was like myself, Lieutenant Green, and like uh, five ORFs, old retired, yeah, you know, butters, yeah. uh, doing the space a thing, and uh, and and of course we're, we get into Yakota at night. But I mean, I knew where I was. I've been to Yakota before, so it was too late to 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 uh, get you know because the bird had to. We had to put the cads back in it and all that other kind of crap. So um, 
we uh, we spent a night in the barracks there in the air, uh, visiting uh, the VAQ. Okay. And then the next day they got everything back together and uh, did the, did that did any debt personnel come down to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They help? they they were there when we got in. They sent like the the chief came up and like an AE and maybe some other one other person. And actually, while we went to the barracks, they put all the the stuff back together and got the bird all ready to go. So the next morning, because uh, they you know they stayed there the night too, and uh, the next morning we fired her up and flew her down to Atsugi. Did you fly them all back with you, or did you make them? Driving? No, they rode back with us. There was enough. We had enough room. You know, there's like three of them. So we had the. There was no sauna buoy launcher in there, so. We had the three cargo, three troop seats, and I could have sat. You know, I could have been in the gunner's belt, and we could have even put a fourth one in there. Sure. Um, but yeah, they flew back with us, and uh, I think about uh, it was maybe about two weeks before we went back to Hawaii. You okay. Know, the, it was like another like week, and then the other debt came in, and then you got a turnover, yeah. and then you got to wait for your port call to, you know to go to the airport and all that stuff. And all right. So let me ask you now, this airplane that you got handed, right? Broke, broke, yeah. broken airplane. You fix the main gear. Box. Had, we didn't have any problems with it after <laughs> at that. all. Okay. Nothing. And what about the debt that took your pristine airplane? I don't think they had any problems either. Okay. I don't think so. Not that I remember. They may have, but I don't remember. I know we didn't. I mean, we, we flew the shit out of it for the last, the, for the, t- the time we were in QB Point, you know, we were flying, like I said, at least two, sometimes three sorties, you know, uh, five, sometimes six days a week, you know. And, uh, uh, and you know, it, we had some cra- craziness happen with a strike. And and you left it uh, there, though, right? The, when, when, it, when turnover came, you left that airplane yeah. behind. Okay. Yep. Yeah, we turn over all your programs. You know, all I had to do was turn over the history cards and stuff for the the gear the uh the non-personal uh flight gear stuff you know i had to deconfigure everybody's vests and turn the the pyrotechnics into the pr shop and uh you know that was it you know our our sv2s and our helmets went with our luggage yeah um but all the rest of the stuff we remains behind and like i said the pyros turn into the pr shop there at atsugi Um, that was one one thing I had to do once. I had to take the gear because at that time we were not qualified to do the gear. Later on, that became the norm in the Lampstead community for the AWs to do the gear. But all we had to be responsible for was to make sure it got to the PR shop. Or one time we actually had to take stuff over to the carrier. And uh, When you say they, gear, what gear are you talking about? SV2s, you know, helmets, you know, that kind of stuff. Oh, so you, the, the, the stuff that Perilov normally takes care of. Yeah, well, later on, that became the norm where the AWs actually were qualified to do the inspections. And the uh, pilots with one of the OIC or the MO would, or the chief even would be the, the QAR on that. Gotcha. All right, so this is April. You're heading back to Hawaii? Yep. And uh, you have just over six months left in on your original enlistment. Um, yeah, I had actually already, uh, well, I hadn't reenlisted yet. Oh, but you had to extend, right? You had to extend when you got to I Hawaii? extend for that, for that, uh, 
I'd already extended because I took the accelerated advancement. So, so how how I was already on I was already on the hook until uh, November of '87. So okay, so you extended a year. Yeah. Okay, so you have yeah. 18, you still have eighteen months then. That's time for yeah, two, and two and more deployments I, and at least. I didn't, and then that was it. I didn't deploy anymore after that. I uh, I was I was living in the barracks because you know I'd been like bam 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 going out to sea and and you know went right out on another debt. So uh, hell, I didn't even I hadn't even bought a car yet. I was so uh, you know in and out in and out that uh, I figured I'd just wait until all this. You know, I get back, you know, from this second attachment because my chief said, you get done back from this and you're done. You're just going to be home guard till you PCS or you get out or whatever you're going to do. I said, that's fine with me. Did he keep that promise? Yep. Yep. So you had I, landed, so you had I, landed on, I landed on some ships, but I didn't, you know, I didn't go out on any deployments <laughs> well, or anything. That's for um, keeping up to date, right? That's. Yep. And so I went home on leave, like I said, 45 days, uh, came back, uh, um, at that time, actually when I, the master chief says you need to move out of the barracks, not like, uh, you know, it's an option. You need to move out because <laughs> you were low on rooms and you're an E5 and, yeah. and I'm an E5 and, uh, you need to move out because I got a bunch of you know, people checking in, you know, E3, E4 below, blah, blah, blah. They got to be in the barracks. XO says no. He doesn't want any E3s that are unaccompanied. To live on base, yeah. off base. Yeah. Live, to live off base. So I said, sure, no problem. And in Hawaii, it's rent plus. So he says, go find an apartment, come back with a lease, and uh, and you're out of here. So I also bought, I bought, a, like came back, I bought a brand new car. Got an 86 Honda Accord found an apartment uh in iaa just above pearl harbor and um lived off base and uh you know it's kind of like a Reg sort of a nine five kind regular of job yeah regular job you know i flew um you know when i was on the schedule um i did get a little bit uh not shafted but i had to take my turn i had to work in calm which kind of sucked but at the same time it could be not such a bad deal because if you had the comm duty where you had to go to the message center and do the message boards, you were done by like 11 o'clock because you had to you had to be there at the comm center at like four in the morning to get the message traffic and then do the message boards so they're ready for the XO to come in by 0600, 0630. And uh, yeah, I was usually out of there by 11, maybe sometimes even earlier. Interesting. You did that. You did that for a week, and it was me and Russ Miller in there, so we rotated that. Russ. Good yep. old Russ. And then, and then about once a month, maybe every two or three weeks, we'd have to go all the way to Pearl Harbor to do the burn run. Yikes. So that that was where the incinerator was, so we'd have to get a van from transportation. and uh, But we would milk that burn run out. We'd do it, and then we'd take our time. Well, let's sure. go to the beach. Yeah, yeah. Let's go yeah. to the BX at Hickam. Dude, okay. you're in a, you're uh, in let's a government. Let's go get lunch. Yeah, and then we get back, and it's like two o'clock, and the chief's going, "Hey, yeah, you guys are done." Yeah, you're in a government vehicle. <laughs> no one cares, right? Nah, you can. They didn't care. We got the burnt. We got the mission accomplished. Beyond that, they didn't. They, you know, our chief, the chief that we worked for, our chief in the com was an o, uh, was our AO chief. He was a really cool guy. He was actually the shop chief for a little while between when we had Chief Leach and Sammy uh, McNeely came over. Sammy. We went like a period of time without a chief. 
an AW chief. So this AOC uh, Wolf, really cool guy, he ran the AW shop, and he also was working in com. He was like the lead, you know, doing both. He was wearing a bunch of hats. And you know, funny, he did, he, I, I don't he did not care as long as the, the, the EXO wasn't complaining about the message boards being screwed up or not on time. He says, you know, don't do that. Don't screw that up. And, you know, the burn run thing, he knew we were goofing off. He didn't care. <laughs> so you, we did. It only took us a couple hours to do that. The re- we pretty much goof off the rest of the time. So you call it the calm, right? I think at 33 yeah. was the, it was the uh, secure, right? Because it, it was a room that all Yeah, this, it was the, a vault. It was basically a vault. With it all had the, like the barred windows and and all the the safes were in there and the lockable yeah, filing cabinets. NW, all the NWPs. And there's an acronym I haven't used in a while. Naval Warfare Publications. Yeah, yeah. So that's that was your secure uh, public pub and and document place. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. We had uh, the chief and two AWs worked in there. And, but it was um, a ground. It was a ground side job. It wasn't. It was typically a. Uh, not a shore duty guy person it was someone that was no the only we had one we had one shore duty aw and he was our nate tops guy you, everybody else there was on cd we had a bunch of females because at that time uh that was shore duty or i'm sorry that was considered overseas sea duty for females for rotational purposes so yes. all of our admin was female all of our pr shop was at was female all of our maintenance admin was female and i want to say almost all of our supply was uh female and then we had female maintainers too so and and scattered in the different shops and then across the street from us in the hangar was vc1 the composite squadron and that was like probably half female um as well so Kind of Quite a few women over there in Hawaii because that was considered yeah, sea, sea duty. duty yeah, yeah. So that last uh, last year or so that I was there, I had a great time. I would, I, uh, can, I can imagine because you know did did a lot of sailing, did a lot of snorkeling, you know, um, just basically uh, yeah, having a really uh, really good time. Played a lot of golf. Uh, my one buddy there, uh, Doug, um, you know, we were always off doing something. Um, didn't too, you know, some guys were like real club rats, like going to the coast guard club on the base. I think I went there a couple of times. So I just wasn't really, uh, you know, the kind of guy to sit around in a bar. Um, <laughs> this wasn't my thing. Well, it depends on what's going on in the bar, right? Yeah, but I mean, this is the freaking Coast Guard Club. But that was that just says a lot about how lame the EM club at, at Barber's Point was. Yeah, yeah. Um, Barber's Point was kind of dead, actually, because it was at that time, you know, that part of Oahu, there was really nothing out there except the base. Now it's all built up and everything. But at that time, there was the Campbell Industrial Park, and they had two places where they had luau's for the tourists a big cattle stockyard, an oil refinery, and then the base. And other than that, there was nothing else out there, cane fields and, yeah, which and makes, nothing. Yeah, which makes sense why they closed it and moved uh, moved to Kaneo. Well, the real estates, they're very valuable, you know. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, they actually didn't close it because they, they wanted to, 
close the whole thing, the whole airfield, but the Coast Guard's still there. So that didn't happen. But it's closed so, now. No, the, I think the Coast Guard's still there. They're I know still the, flying C-130s and uh, I know the Navy got moved to Kaneohe. I know that. They got moved to the yeah, other the side Coast of Coast Guard, it's, it's still an active field in the Coast Guard. They said, we're not moving. So... This is Barber's Point. Yeah. I'm pretty it's, sure the Coast Guard's still, it's still there. It's called Kaleiloa Airport now. Yep. And I'm almost 100% certain the NA, or, uh, Coast Guard Air Station, uh, Barber's Point, still there. Yeah, that's all I see. I see the Coast Guard with two C-130s, three C-130s. Yeah, they, they had like six of them there, I think, total. Because they they did um, they had a lot of territory to cover, not just the Hawaiian Islands, but they went up to like Midway, and at that time there was still Iran stations, remote like French frigate shoals and places like that that they used to have to fly people and supply. That was their only way of getting the people and the supplies to and whatnot. Well, uh, the Coast Guard may still be flying in and out of there, but it's no longer, you know, the base itself on the north side of the field is all... Oh, yeah, that's all dead. That's closed. Yeah. That's uh, yep. civilian whatever now. You know, the, the, the Navy really bent to political pressure to do that. They really did not want to close that base. Um, it was a good base. I, I enjoyed being stationed there. Yeah. So... Well, I guess, uh, I guess now that you're... Time at HSL 37 is coming to a close, right? Maybe. Uh... Pretty much, yeah. I mean, uh, I uh, rotated to shore duty in March of, uh, well, I had re-enlisted and then rotated to shore duty in March of um, 87 because, you know, re-enlisting also shaved 18 months off of my, uh, my sea duty time for rotation. Otherwise, I was going to go on another debt. In hindsight, I wished I'd re-enlisted and still stayed and gone out on deployment, but gone back to Japan, got another four deployed debt. But you know what they say about hindsight. Yeah, it's twenty twenty. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, then, you know, maybe we'll uh, we'll talk about your time as uh, on shore duty at thirty one, and your debt B. Yeah. We'll save that. Yeah. For, oh, yeah. So, when I was uh, on shore duty as an instructor, yeah. We'll save that for the next go around. I think I actually I was try I actually tried to I think get orders to HSL thirty, but they were not gonna they weren't gonna spend the amount that amount of money to move, move me on East Coast. Yeah. I'm glad I didn't do that though. I you know I've heard nothing good about being stationed in Norfolk. Nothing good. I, I didn't hear anything good about the HSL community on the, in Norfolk East, either. East Coast either, yeah, yeah, same here. All the East Coast H two guys that I met were freaking tools. Even the we even had the, one, and we we had one in my HS squad, and I that I was HS four that was a complete jackass. Was he was he a Norfolk guy or was he a Mayport guy? No, I was a Norfolk guy. Uh, he was in HSL thirty two. Yeah, nothing good. And even the officers that I met that, that you know, because some of them came to HSL 31, um, I wasn't particularly fond of them either. Just a different mentality, I yeah, guess. Yeah, the East, like East Coast, West Coast, it is two different navies, that's for sure. 
too many big wigs i think there in norfolk here close to dc and all that kind of yep. kind of stuff we did have one really cool officer that uh came from hsl 34 or yeah i think he was an hsl 34 unfortunately uh ed ed Kleppy was uh he he was one of these guys that uh really smart guy so he's not going to stay in the navy he's going to get out and go to law school and and then fly in the reserves at willow grove yeah and uh that's what he did and then i heard he got killed in an h2 crash yeah they were they were going to autech maybe you heard about it um they I were like have... in a flight of four i think maybe i think it was four because i think they were sending a pretty sizable detachment down there to Autech to Google. that's like their their big thing they're going to do for their two week summer yeah summer camp two week yeah exactly yeah so they're going to take like half the squadron you know of the cell rest selected reservists and uh fly down there and they had something happen like they threw a freaking uh blade flap or something Ooh. catastrophic I think it would still fly minus a blade flap. I think it was something worse than that. Um, and they, you know, in formation, next thing you know, they see him like, you know, losing control and they went into the water and killed all three of them. Shoot. Yeah. Ah. Yep. We had one of our helicopters. They crashed because the freaking, uh, um, trying to, they went and they actually went into the Molokai Channel, because the the AW that was the AW in the back was in that was in Mareki's SAR school class. Interesting. Yeah, um, I'm trying to remember what his name was. He was a really good guy too. Um, they had some kind of weird catastrophic failure. Like they're flying along. Next thing you know, their their the helicopter started really vibrating, and the pilot saying, "We're going to have to ditch." <laughs> You're like, "Oh shit," you know. And uh, and they and they went into the drink into the Molokai Channel, which I bring that up because the the current in there is really strong. Um, and yeah. I think the co and the Coast Guard picked them up. You know, they got a mayday out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and because uh, they're doing flight following since they're um, they controlled airspace. Uh, yeah, exactly. And um, I think they're talking to Honolulu Center or something like that. Or, and uh, the Coast Guard went and picked them up. But that's also, you know, you're in shark-infested waters out there, too. Yeah. Yep. Not not, uh, not a good way to go, I know that. Um, no. All right, well, then let's, uh, let's wrap it here, then, and we'll... Uh, cool. We'll pick it up next time. Coming, sure. Coming in. Um, give the standard closing brief of... Feel free to reach out. We have email addresses, uh, mike at navalair.net or scott at navalair.net. And uh, let us know what you'd like us to talk about if you want to give us that kind of feedback or if there, if you want to actually tell your own story, make an arrangement to add you to the call and you can tell us what uh, any of your fond memories of the Naval Aviation Enterprise, as they like to say. Uh, other than that, uh, anything else we need to discuss before we sign off? No, that sounds good. All right. Well, uh, again, uh, on behalf of my co-host here, Scott, my name is Mike. Uh, I'd like to thank you for listening and uh, ask you to stay safe and God bless. Yeah.